everybody! We're back and ready to kick off our 2019 Subject to Interpretation podcast series hosted by Augustine de la Mora. This is our space for professional interpreters to share their stories and advice and discuss current events in the profession and where it's heading. Today, we will be interviewing the chair of the National Board of Certification for Medical Interpreters, better known as NBCMI, Jasmine Manjares. This highly requested interview will cover last year's hotly debated topic of accreditation and what it means to be NBCMI certified today. So before we jump into this interview, we'd like to talk to you a little bit about some of our new classes that are coming up, including our Intro to Community Interpreting course, which is beginning on April 2nd. This class covers the basics of interpreting in community organizations, such as schools, businesses, and recreational institutions. On March 13th, we will also begin our intro to conference interpreting, taught by Darinka Mangino, who is a diplomatic interpreter. You may have heard of her for her famous long consecutive skills. Her course will introduce you to conference interpreting, teaching you skills to help grow your opportunities. Additionally, there will be an immigration interpreting course beginning on April 2nd. This course will cover the specific skills and knowledge needed to work in immigration cases. And finally, we will soon open registration for our accent reduction course and a professional Spanish course to brush up on your language skills and vocabulary. To learn more about our upcoming courses, you may visit delamoratraining.com or click the links in the description and sign up for our newsletter for flash promotions and special discounts. We appreciate all of you for listening in. We pride ourselves in being one of the very few podcasts for professional interpreters out there. So please share us with all of your colleagues. We would love to hear your feedback. And if you have any questions, feel free to contact our office. Now we hope you enjoy this episode. Hello, everyone. This is Agustin de la Mora welcoming you again to our podcast, Subject to Interpretation. As always, we have uh, a guest that is a very interesting and relevant person in the field of interpretation. And I'm going to let her uh, introduce herself. Her name is Jasmine Manjarres. Welcome, Jasmine. How are you doing? Fine. Thank you. And, and thank you, Agustin, for having me. So, yes, my name is uh, Jasmine Manjarres in English or mm-hmm. Jasmine Manjarres in Espanol. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, and so I'm very happy to be here with you today. And like I said, I am the uh, my position right now is with uh, the National Board of Certification for Medical Interpreters, and I am the chair. Um, mm-hmm. at the present time, and so I'm very happy to be here with you and to be able to answer any questions that you or your audience may have regarding our certification. Well, thank you, Jasmine, and thank you. I, I should uh, start by saying I myself, I'm a, I'm a CMI, which Wonderful. means I was uh, uh, certified by your board. Mm-hmm. And yes, we have a lot of questions about the board and uh, how to get certified and all that, but we wanted to start with you. Why didn't you tell us a little bit about how you became an interpreter? Because I'm going to guess that maybe it was like many of us, almost by serendipity. You know, you're absolutely right. Mm -hmm. So I actually became an interpreter 17 years ago, back in 2002. Mm -hmm. Um, I was very unhappy. I worked for a law firm. And I, I was just saying, I don't feel fulfilled. I want to find a career where I can go home and feel good about myself. And um, for about a year, I just really didn't know what I wanted to do. And then um, 
I answered an ad for interpreting for a company that was just starting. And um, I started interpreting for some schools. And then they referred me to um, another company that just did medical. And um, they asked me to go interpret for medical, and I just fell in love with it. I mean, that same day, I just fell in love with it. And I immediately wanted to see, you know, where can I find out more information about how to be a medical interpreter? And I found some classes at the Portland Community College here in um, Portland, Oregon. And so I immediately went over there. Um, they have an excellent program, or they did. And so um, I went and I took the classes so that I knew what I was doing, you know. Mm -hmm. um, so back then in 2002, there was not, training was really not as required as it is nowadays, you know. And of course, there was no certification that was being offered or anything like that. But I always felt that, you know, if you embark in any kind of a career, you definitely want to seek out training to know what you're doing. And especially when you're, you know, dealing with, um, with people and, and their medical issues and pretty much you have their lives in your hands, you know. That's and true. so you want to know what you're doing and be able to do a good job. So anyway... You know, I started working as a freelance interpreter, and then I landed a job at a pediatric clinic, and then I ended up going to um, one of the major hospitals here in uh, in Portland, Oregon, and um, I was there a few years. I learned an incredible amount of things. You know, when I was hired, my boss said, you're going to leave here, and you're going to be a doctor by the time you leave right. here because you're going to learn so much because it's one of the biggest hospitals here. And you just deal with an incredible amount of uh, situations and, and specialties and whatnot. So anyway, that's my story. <laughs> yes, and, and, and it's an interesting story, but I think many of uh, our listeners and many of the people that study with us in our school have the same story. They go, uh, they get hooked. They go oh. and help a friend or somebody told them, hey, listen, you know, they're needing interpreters. And they do it, and they get hooked. I personally think that I have a similar story about. I started with court interpretation myself, but mm -hmm. it was the same kind of feeling that wow, this is awesome. This is what I want to do now. Mm -hmm. And and you mentioned certification and the importance of educating yourself. And I think that that's an area. I don't know if you agree with me, but that's an area where I think we still have a ways to go to convince two groups of people. The providers, because they are, most of them are still under the impression that if I can speak another language, somehow <laughs> magically I'm also an interpreter. I know. But also the group, the other group of people, bilingual people that think the same thing. Mm -hmm. So what, what is your experience about that? Uh, do you still find that a lot that people think, oh, it's, I mean, I'm, I'm bilingual. I can do this tomorrow. I find that every single day. You know, every single day you run into somebody that says, oh, but so-and-so is interpreting for them. And, oh, look, they're doing a great job. I bet they could be an interpreter. And I'm listening to their English or their Spanish, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking, yeah, I don't think so, you know. Mm -hmm. But, of course, I, you, you know, you have to be polite and, and not say anything, you know. Or when doctors want to practice their English, <laughs> okay, <laughs> we all run into that, right? Mm -hmm. Um what what I found, you know, to do, because sometimes they'll say, no, 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 you know, just let, let me practice my English. And you just want to tell them, I'm sorry, but you are, they're not here for you to practice your English, right? right. So I, I found a very clever way. And I said, 
well, <clears throat> I need to inform the patient so that the patient um, can make the decision, you know. Great idea. And, uh, and, I immediately, and they look at me and they're like, what? And I, mm -hmm. I ask the, you know, the patients, are you comfortable with the doctor practicing his English? And most of the time they will say no. Or Hispanish, and, right? Or whatever the oh, other language right. is. Well, right. Well, yeah, I'm mm -hmm. sorry. Yeah, Hispanish. You're right. The Spanish. Yeah. And so uh, when the doctor hears that, he has no choice but to speak in English so that I can interpret. So I, you know, got that little trick now that I do that because you, you run into so many of them that want to practice their Spanish, you know, and it's like, that is not acceptable. Right, right. So, but, okay. yeah. yeah, no, I know, I know that that's, that's an issue that we have to explain pretty much every time we start the process. And uh, I don't know if it also happens to you or has happened to you that you have this other battle of doctors and nurses saying, well, you know, Johnny here has been interpreting for us for a long time and he's very good. Oh, yeah. <laughs> then you go like, well, so you speak Spanish or, you can, or Chinese, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. Well, no. Yeah. Then it's interesting how they could evaluate that Johnny is doing very well when – they don't exactly. know what Johnny is saying. Exactly. And, you know, I've run into a lot of interpreters that have actually have been interpreting for a very long time. And I listen to them and they're still interpreting in the third person rather than the right. first person. Right. Or, you know, they are not uh, delivering the message the way it's supposed to be. Um, they're just really um, paraphrasing, you know. Right. Right. And... But they think that they're doing a good job because they've been doing this for a long time. Right. And, you know, this is why training is so important and certification is so important because, you know, those certification programs are not easy. I mean, you took our test, you know, yeah. you know, um, for someone who does a great job, it's an easy test. For someone who doesn't, you know, it's a hard test. So, and I've heard both ends, you know, people say it's a really hard test and people say it's a really easy test. Mm -hmm. So it depends on, you know, where you are. Um, but it's still good to be tested. And, you know, and, and a lot of people say, but I passed this test or I passed that test. Mm -hmm. But that is not a certification exam. A certification exam is going to be more rigorous and they're going to really look at everything, your proficiency, you know, um, your skills in interpreting what your medical terminology knowledge, you know, in both languages is. So it's not, yeah, you passed, uh, you know, this test, but that doesn't mean you're going to pass our test, you know. Right. And, and and you mentioned two things that I think I want to know. First of all, I guess we should also emphasize that the good news is that more and more people are getting trained and pursuing certification. Absolutely. And we're going to talk about that uh, in a moment. But I also wanted to you to talk to us a little bit about what you just said about people saying, well, I, I passed this test because, you know, I work for XYZ company and they tested me. Mm -hmm. Or people who go on and take a training mm -hmm. and get a certificate of attendance and then say, I am certified. Have you find that, found that to be true, too? Oh, absolutely. You know, this is why, um, you know, I, I'm also a, a trainer. And mm -hmm. so when I train um, interpreters, you know, one of the things I say is, when you are done with this class, you will get a certificate. But this does not mean that you are now certified. You have to go through the process of certification, you know. And I explain to them, and I explain that there are two organizations that certify, you know. Because as a trainer, I have to, I, you know, 
I have to give all the information to my to my students and not you know prefer one over the other. So I do that, and um, and I explain. You know, I said too many people feel that when they have this class that they will be certified, and that is right. not true. You know, yeah. and I mean I have run into doctors because at this hospital where I was working at. They actually had classes that they gave to, to incoming residents and things like that. Mm. And then they would look at me and say, oh, but I'm certified. And I'm like, and right. how did you become certified? Oh, well, I took this class, you know, that, that, you know, this hospital, um, offers and now I'm certified. And I'm like, no, you're not. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. You know, so there is a difference between having a certificate and a certification. They're two totally different things. Right. And then you mentioned these two organizations and you happen to be uh, in a position on the board, I think, and you're going to tell us uh, of one of them, which is NBCMI. So why don't you yeah. tell us, first of all, what does NBSI, CM, NBCMI <laughs> means? It's a mouthful. Yeah. And then what's your position there? And tell us a little bit about it. Okay, well, the NBCMI is uh, short for the National Board of Certification for Medical Interpreters. And I happen to be the chair of the organization. Um, and we have our board of directors. Uh, we have anywhere from 10 to 12 board of directors, including the chair, and a vice chair and a secretary. Uh -huh. So, um, and basically we're an organization, we are a nationwide organization that offers certification. And we were the first organization that um, offered medical certification to interpreters nationwide. And as a matter of fact, this year we are celebrating our 10th anniversary. Wow. Isn't that amazing? I, I, I'm very, very proud of our organization. And, um, and so, you know, what we want to emphasize is, you know, we want, what we do is we organize, we oversee and promote a national uh, medical interpreter certification program in six languages. And so the, the CMI credential, you know, it, it's an entry level certification for medical interpreters. And, you know, we want to make sure that they <clears throat> are tested on their, um, ethics, their standards of practice, their role boundaries, their terminology, their language proficiency, you know. Right, right. And, and I think it's important to mention to our listeners uh, that it's an entry level because also I, I often tell my students, after you get your certification, consider that your commencement, right? Exactly. Your beginning, you're not really a seasoned a certified interpreter. You're starting in the profession. And from there on, you should continue to acquire uh, more knowledge and practice and continue to apply what you have learned in order to become a CMI. So you mentioned that there's six languages that are uh, certified by the NBCMI. Could you tell us which languages are those? Sure, absolutely. We have the, uh, of course, Spanish, and we have Mandarin, Cantonese, Russian, Vietnamese, and Korean. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And obviously those uh, uh, languages were decided based on a uh, number of requests, you think, by hospitals or population? How did you guys come up with that? It, it was by, yeah. by populations, by demographics, mm -hmm. and saying, okay, what are the most used languages nationwide? You know, um, So, yeah, that's how it was decided. 
Okay. And then uh, now that we know that CMI exists, NBCMI, and that people can become CMIs, you did mention that there's another organization. I think it's CCHI. Is that correct? That is correct, yes. And then other people can uh, be certified through CCHI. But let's uh, focus on CMI. So if I want to be a certified interpreter for as a CMI in one of those six languages, what's the path that I have to follow? Okay, well, the first thing you need to do is visit our website and register, okay? And then you also need to submit all of the paperwork, all the prerequisites that we require. You know, one of the prerequisites is a 40-hour training course. And, um, you know, even if you are a doctor that want to go and become a certified medical interpreter, we still require that you take a 40-hour training class. Mm-hmm. And we will not budge on that, you know? And then they say, but we were a doctor. And I'm like, nope. You still need to be, you, you still need to take the interpreter training class, you know. Be, right. And then, of course, when they do, they realize, oh, God, there's so much to learn, you know. Yes. <laughs> so, yes. And, and then, of course, we require uh, language proficiency We on both languages, not just English, but, you know, the target language. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, and how can, let's say, how, how do I prove to you that I am proficient in English? Well, if you went to school here, for example, okay, um, you would have a high school diploma or you would have, you know, your, if you went to college, you would have a college degree. Um, if you are not a native that, you know, you came to this country at, after being in your country and, and you are now an adult or whatever, you know, there are several exams that you can take. Um, that are offered like the TOEFL and things mm-hmm. like that. And there's a whole list on our website of everything that we accept. You know, and I got to tell you a little story. When, when I, I um, was born in Mexico, yeah. but I was raised in the United States, but I, mm-hmm. you know, I speak um, 100% fluency in Spanish, but I had no way of proving my fluency (laughs) (laughs) when I went to become an, you know, a certified interpreter. So I had to um, take a, uh, a test, you know, so that I could prove that my proficiency was at a high level. Did you take one of those OPIs? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and I mean, it was, well, the state of Oregon requires, um, you, that you go to their website and they will tell you which of the two organizations they have two organizations that um, they will accept for a testing okay got it or language proficiency so I took one of those mm-hmm. and uh, and then of course I had to prove to them that I had taken it and that was part of my requisites too for the CMI credential when I went to take it right so. So uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, your website because we've heard stories, uh, good and not so good, about the website being easy to navigate, not so easy to navigate, easy to communicate, not so easy to communicate. What is? What do you think? You know, it's really, um, we think that it's organized and that it's, um, we actually redid our website not too long ago. I mean, I'm, I'm talking probably like in the last two or three years. Um, and we felt that it is organized and that it is easy to navigate. But there are some people, you know, that are not computer savvy. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And so for those people, I think it's a little more difficult. You know, I can tell you that I have friends that call me and they're like, I don't know what to do. Yes. <laughs> you know? yeah, me too. And I have visited the website myself and I think that it is quite clear how to get through it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and maybe when you say the, con- how about the contact us uh, section? We can only contact people through email. Is that correct? That is correct. Yes. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, our staff is actually, um, they work from home. Right. And um, they're in different states. Right. And right. so their hours are different because of their different states. Right. You know? And I think, I think that for, you know, dating myself, my generation, we feel a little uncomfortable when we can't actually pick up the phone and talk to somebody. And I think that that probably be some of the blowback that we get about, well, you know, we can't call them on the phone. But the truth is that uh, the trend now in many situations is that there's no longer contact over the phone with many organizations, but that you can contact them through email and that works just as well. Yes, I believe so. And I mean, um, I know since I have been chair that I have focused on our customer service. You know, um, I want want our staff to be able to immediately answer someone um, or at least acknowledge that they have received their email. You know, because we right. all want to be acknowledged, you know, exactly. and then um, that that they are they are immediately that, that they respond in a very timely manner. That's very important to me. And I have, right. you know, emphasized customer service to right. our staff because I feel it's very important. Right. And I think that one of the things that I wanted you to help us understand and clarify, because I think there's some confusion among people mm-hmm. if there is any link between IMIA and NBCMI because it seems that people think they're interchangeable and I think that that might be uh, part of the problem. Are they okay. the same organization? Okay, well, let me explain what the IMIA is. So you, you know what the IMIA is, right? The International Medical Interpreter Association. And they are an international organization. Uh, they were actually the first organization um, to start talking about certification. They were founded back in 1986. And in 1987, they actually published the very first Code of Ethics for Medical Interpreters. So they've been around for a long time. And they were part of the... Um, pioneering, you know, um, towards medical certification. The National Board was founded um, in 2009, and um, we became part of or an independent division of the IMIA. Mm -hmm. Okay. So we are an independent division of the IMIA, which I feel actually is not, you know, people seem to think, oh, that's a bad thing. I don't see it as a bad thing. I actually see it as a wonderful thing because we are a division of an international organization that Mm -hmm. focuses specifically on medical interpreter. Now they have membership. Okay. And, Mm -hmm. you know, like any organization like the NCIHC or you know, any or local organization for interpreters, they are always going to have membership and they're going to have, you know, people um, paying their dues, their membership mm-hmm. dues. But that is separate from us. Mm-hmm. Okay. We, we don't, we don't, we have nothing to do with that. Because right. also the IMIA is actually the one that approves all of the workshops for conferences or just for, you know, if you're going to give a class or whatever 
to provide the CEUs for that continuing education that is required for the recertification of mm -hmm. the credential. So that is what they do, and they do that separately from us as well, okay? Right. Because that is the way it's supposed to be. I that agree. is the way that and we I, can we cannot you know oversee that we can just say we will accept the CEUs, right. okay? And you know prior, um, I think a couple of years ago, uh, let's see, at the beginning of January of last year, we changed how we were going to accept CEUs as the national board because we wanted to ensure that the standards were high and our certification is medical. And so we need to look at workshops that you are taking workshops that are specific to medical, you know. Mm -hmm. And so when we were accepting CEUs from other organizations, we really, you know, weren't sure just how strict or, you know, did they really meet all of the, the qualifications and whatnot. You know, I mean, it was done by the ATA or CCHI or the Washington State, you know, DSHS and things like that. So then we finally, we, we made the decision that we were going to accept IMIA CEUs because we know what our standards are and mm -hmm. we look, you know, or the IMIA looks at the workshops and they determine and say, okay, these meet the standards, this does not meet the standards, you know. For example, if somebody wants to take a class for accounting, how am I going to do my accounting for my business? You know, that's an interpreting business. Yeah. That doesn't necessarily mean it's a medical Gotcha. You know, mm -hmm. it's not medical education. So we would probably say no to that workshop or they would say no, I'm sorry, to, to that workshop. But, you know, we want to make sure that it is specific to medical because that is like you said earlier, you know, um, once you become a certified interpreter, it doesn't end there. You have to continue that education Correct. and you have to continue your skills. And how you're going to do that is by going to these workshops and learning about medical, you know. That's so. right. That's right. Yeah, and thank you. And I think that that's an important distinction. And that might be a little bit about why people uh, get a little lost because that they're trying to get certified on, on the IMIA side and they just don't understand that IMIA doesn't certify people. So I'm glad you clarified it for us. Mm -hmm. Um I wanted to ask you, if you had to, uh, being where you are right now and where you've been as an interpreter, what is your advice for people who want to get uh, to be medical interpreters? What would be the most important thing that you say, this is the first thing you have to do? Training. <laughs> mm -hmm. And then training, and then after that, some more training. <laughs> training yeah. and certification. Mm -hmm. Okay, those to me are very, very important. I think education is extremely important, no matter what field you go into, education is very important. Um, so yes, you do need to, to go in and, and get your training and then get certified. I mean, I, I had a, an interpreter that was a Farsi interpreter in my class taking the training because in Oregon they require training, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, for their state certification. And so, um, her first day in class, she goes, I don't know what I'm doing here. This is ridiculous. You know, what am I going to learn? I've been doing this for a long time. And she went on and on and on and on. And, you know, everybody kind of just looked at her. And within just a few weeks, she had completely changed and said and was promoting 
you know, training to all the interpreters and saying, I have learned so much, you know. And that's the difference, that people don't understand how much you really are going to learn when you go to a training class, you know, Um, because there are so many things that you don't even think about or realize if you're not, you know, if, if you're not going into this training to get the skills that you need. And, you know, language proficiency is also very important because that is something that, um, you know, you need to be to be able to understand the doctor and you need to be able to, um, if you are coming, say, from Vietnam, you need to be able to understand what the doctor is saying, okay? And, um, and the doctor needs to understand what you're saying in English exactly, too, right? Exactly, exactly. So language proficiency is very, very important. So sometimes you just need to work on those skills as well and take, you know, English classes if, if you need to or take Spanish classes if you're an American wanting to be, you know, a Spanish interpreter or, you know, any other languages. So, you know, training is very important. And, of course, certification would be the ultimate because, that lets providers know that you are a professional and that you know, you know, um, the, the protocols. And let me tell you, I mean, you know, this certification and the testing and the training and all of that, you know, the, the ACAC section uh, 1557 and the Joint Commission, you know, they, um, when they define a qualifying interpreter, it's a competent interpreter that can interpret in both languages, okay? That demonstrates language proficiency in both languages and interpreting skills in both languages. Of course. And so all of our six lang or the six languages that we offer, okay, they test on on both of those. In other words, they test both languages, not just one, you know. So and, and that's what the, the requirement is under the, that federal law, you know, of the ACA and the Joint Commission as well. So I'm very proud of our certification. Yeah, I think, I, you know, I, t speaking about that from the point of view of somebody who took the test, I think it was well-rounded. It was challenging, but it was good. And I, I felt that it was actually helping me understand, well, this is what I'm going to be facing on a regular basis. So I should be prepared for it, not only from the linguistic point of view, but also if I'm uh, faced with a, a situation where I have to make a decision based on the code of ethics or on protocol. Uh, and from simple things, like you said, speaking on the first person to a lot more uh, complicated Even, things about should I save something in this case or not. You know, how, how do you do advocacy? Many interpreters right. tend to uh, do advocacy beyond their role boundary. Yes. And that is not, you know, that, that is not something that we're supposed to do. And they need to understand our code of ethics and our standards right. of practice. And, you know, that, that's very important. And that's, you know, again, what we focus on the exams. You know, we focus right. on the written exam, 61% we focus on medical knowledge and then 15% on our code of ethics, you know, and then the remainder is cultural awareness and the legislation and regulations, because that's also very important, you know, HIPAA, um, um, the class standards, you know, the ACA, all these things are very important. You need to understand them. Um, and then of course in the oral language proficiency, you know, um, medical terminology in both languages, not just one, you know, right. And so, then yeah, making I, interpreting. Right. And I mm -hmm. agree that certification is very important. But we've heard 
uh, some rockers and some <laughs> run run about, well, you know, how come NBCMI is no longer certified to certify? So well, why don't you not... talk to, to us about that? Because I don't think that that's accurate. You're right. It is not. Okay. You know, there was a huge misconception and, and people speculating um, when, when we made the decision to um, not do the accreditation for the Spanish program. So the accreditation was only for the Spanish program. It was not for the organization itself. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, and it was, you know, we made a determination, for example, to um, bring all of our languages to the same supported structure and protocol, not just have Spanish up in one and then the other languages further down. So we wanted to bring them all together. Um, and really what accreditation does, or actually what it does not do, um, they do not look at the contents of the test at all. Okay, so they actually have no way of knowing how easy or how rigorous the test is and whether it meets the qualifications for the industry standard. Um, what it does, it does look at the processes, okay? Um, and what the NCCA does is they look at um, the processes of all the different organizations that they accredit or, or the programs that they accredit within the organizations. I mean, they accredit crane operators, automotive, you know, automotive professionals and respiratory therapists. Um, mm -hmm. So how, how do you accredit that, you know, vast variety of organizations? Because you're only looking at the processes. You're not looking at, at the exam. So anyway, you know, due to that, many people speculated that the credential was not valid. But that's not, you know, that could be further from the truth. I mean, our credential was validated by a third party, which was PSI, and it was developed through a comprehensive job analysis and a group of industry stakeholders and subject matter experts. So, you know, our credential continues to be a very valid uh, certification. Um, you know, and again, like I said, it, it meets the qualifications or the requirements of the federal ACAC section and the Joint Commission. So... Exactly, and I, I think that I, I'm glad you talked about that and to reassure people that we are no longer, nobody kicked me to the curb and I'm no longer a certified medical interpreter because I know I still am. And uh, Oh, absolutely. You know, you know I, I worked hard to get that certification and you worked hard to put it together and I think that it, that still stands. So let's just talk a little bit about the future because we have a few minutes left and I wanted to you know, I don't want to take the rest of your afternoon, but I wanted you to talk to us a little bit about what do you see as a future medical interpreter? How, who is that person? What do they look like? Not physically, obviously, but what, is, <laughs> what are their characteristics? You know, one of my biggest, biggest things for me is what are they going to look like in the future? Professional. Mm-hmm. Okay, very professional. You're going to dress professionally. You're going to be very courteous and very knowledgeable in the job that you do, okay? Uh, because, you know, sadly, many people still look at the interpreter as, ah, oh, she's just the interpreter, you know? Or, yeah, we're going to use you as an interpreter, you know? And I really want the medical profession to um, recognize the certified interpreters because we actually do a tremendous work, you know? 
we add a lot of value to that encounter. And without us, they would not be able to do what they do. And so, but in order to have the medical profession look at us as professionals, we have to act as professionals. We have to become certified. We have to know what, you know, how to act in certain situations because we have a code of ethics, okay? And we, you know, many interpreters will um, kind of back down if a provider says to them, um, don't interpret what I'm going to say, you know. A professional interpreter will say, I'm, will not accept that. A professional interpreter will say, my job is to interpret everything that's said in the room, you know. And so that is what I want for the future of, of medical interpreting. You know, I really want everybody to embrace the training, to embrace the professionalism, um, to tell themselves, I am a professional interpreter, and to stand up to a provider if need be, because you know that you have a code of ethics you need to follow and a standards of practice you need to follow. So, Correct. Well, uh, Jasmine, I, I really appreciate your time and your candor and Sorry to put you through the tough questions, but I thought <laughs> it was important to, for because I know many of our students and listeners will go, okay, so what's up with that? Or what? So I'm glad that you clarified it for us. Uh, thank you for giving us some time. And uh, you know, we can now send everybody to your new redesigned website and website. all get certified, right? Absolutely. And you know... Um I am also very open as, as the chair, and I said it because I really care about customer service. I always am available to anyone who wants to send me an email directly and say, you know, I, I have this issue or whatever's happening, you know. And my email address is on the website as well. So, you know, anyone can reach out to me, and I'm happy to help them because, you know, customer service, like I said, is very important, and we need to be able to help all of our interpreters. Okay. Well, thank you very much for that. And we'll, uh, we'll close with this unless you have any extra comments before we close the session. No, no other comments. Okay. Oh, yeah. One yes, more thing. Go ahead. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> we offer certification year round, by the way. That's very important for everybody to know that we do offer certification year round. And uh, we actually even offer it in the convenience of your own home. So if anyone who wants oh, to get yes. certified, you know, many people get that test anxiety thing, you mm -hmm. know, and feel mm -hmm. perhaps more comfortable at home. And so we actually do offer that testing at home. And so it helps a little bit with that test anxiety. And again, yeah. you, know, you don't have to wait. You can year round, you know, um, it's when you can test. Whenever you're ready, you're able to test. This is perfect, and, and I'm glad you mentioned that, That because I remember when I took the test some time ago, you had to go to a place to go take the, the exam, both the written and the oral, but now you can right. do it at home if you wish, right? Which Absolutely. Thank, mm -hmm. Thankfully, technology came to our aid, and people can do it from the comfort of their own house, so Absolutely. no text inside, test inside. They can have their coffee right next to them and just have a nice experience. Absolutely. All right. Well, thanks a lot, Jasmine. Um, okay, I'm sure we'll see each other around in one of those many conferences that we, we have around the country. Absolutely. I think I saw you. I actually did come up to you once and introduce myself at one of the conferences. I just don't remember which one. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the club. I, you know, I, I, I'm going to have a whole session on talking about pro, 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 pro 
pagnesia or some condition that I have about not recognizing people's faces. So that's my <laughs> story, and I'm sticking to it. Okay. okay. Thank you very much. We'll see you around. Thank you so You're much. You're welcome. Bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you again for joining us today. Next week, we will be interviewing John Botero, who is the program manager with the Administrative Office of the Courts in Georgia. So we look forward to seeing you then.